Hi everyone, welcome to HubShots episode 40. My name's Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found and I'm joined by my co-host Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? I'm really well, Ian, and I'm so excited about this episode. I know, episode 40. We've got a cracker on the way. <laughs> it's a cracker we had, on the way. <laughs> we got to interview Kip Bodner, who is the Chief Marketing Officer of HubSpot. That's right. He's the CMO. He's the one that sits in the room with Brian and Damesh. It's about as high as you go in the marketing world. That's right. Now, on this interview, you'll hear a third voice, which is a special guest on this podcast as well, and it's Moby Sadiq from Inbound Buzz. Now, we collaboratively organize this interview, so that's why you'll hear Moby on there. So, make him feel welcome. So, Craig, do you want to tell us a bit more about what the interview is about? Yeah, I'll just set the scene for this interview because I think this is really useful for marketing managers, marketing directors, especially thinking about their careers, right? Because Kip is one of those marketers who has had a rapid rise in his career from marketing strategist just a couple of years ago through to CMO, as we said. So we actually asked him some personal questions around work-life balance, some strategic ones, some tactical, and then finished with a bit of future thinking. So... Lots of value there. We hope you enjoy it. So, Kip, thanks for joining us on the Hub Shots podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. So, the first question we wanted to ask you, Kip, yeah. is around career paths. So, most marketing managers are very busy. They're uh, long days, long hours. Personal life often gets squeezed. So, as a CMO of a large, growing company, how do you balance work? and personal life and what advice would you give to marketing managers who are considering their career growth? Yeah, it's a great question. So I have an eight month old son, so I don't have much choice, but uh, to, to absolutely have to find balance because I love him and I want to see him and spend a great time with him. I, you know, I think it depends on your personality, the best way to do that. I'm somebody who is fairly good at compartmentalizing. So uh, when I'm at work, I'm at work. And when I come home and I'm with my son, uh, you know, the phone goes away, the computer goes away, and I try to be really locked in and basically make the most efficient use of your time. And a lot of work-life balance comes down to actual time management and people actually just spending time on stuff that is doesn't meet the bear the the bar of importance like they're just spending extra time on stuff because they think they need to versus that it's actually important if you you have to have the ability to say no to have a good balance in life and so there are some things that I just won't weigh in on or I will just say no to because I, I'm trying to stay very focused on what's important to to my team and to HubSpot and so that's that's kind of how I have approached it. and that's my advice to everybody is think about what makes up your life and makes up your time and figure out where you can maybe push back a little bit to get a little bit more balance into it. But it's it's hard. Thank you. I often get asked, as I'm sure um, Craig and Ian do, how do I stay on top of digital? Who are the thought leaders I should be following? Mm. I'm curious to know who does Keep Burden up follow and why? Yeah, sure. So I'll answer the first part of that question. So like how you stay on top of marketing trends. My, my advice to you is like you kind of need a system. Like you need a way to quickly and easily capture a lot of knowledge and information. Like I read stuff all day, every day, but I have my system. I have like a very specific list of email newsletters I subscribe to. I have a very curated, I use Flipboard, you can use Pocket, whatever type of online reader you're using, where I have curated all of the feeds and all of the streams to basically give me the best knowledge there. I also read a lot of stuff on our inbound.org community where there's a lot of discussions and you can often get really valuable commentary around something that's happening. So it's, I really do those three things. And so when you think about specifically who to follow in the marketplace, you know, 
I read a lot of folks in the technology industry and in the venture capital industry like David Scott and Thomas Tungs and some of those folks. But on the marketing side specifically, I think there are a whole host of amazing folks from Seth Godin to David Merriman Scott to all the content we created at HubSpot. But there's what's great is that there's great content and leadership no matter where you are in the world or in the region, like in Australia. I've met tons of awesome marketing experts since I've been here. And just even connecting with those folks on Twitter and connecting with, with all of you is a great way to actually do that and, and pull that off. The other thing is to make sure you have a diversity of the content you consume. There's sometimes like sitting down and reading a book even though there's the depth to it, allows you to think and process things in a kind of a deeper way. And so if you're always just reading quick hit articles online versus a book versus white papers versus videos, there's a, you're going to absorb information differently. So it's kind of have a variety in the content you're thinking about. How much time do you spend reading all of this content and educating yourself? Uh, I probably spend an hour to 90 minutes a day. Uh, but I'm like, I'm a dork. I, you know, I, when Facebook had F8, I read all through the new Facebook Live video, API documentation. Like, I think a marketer's job is to know what's possible, right? Because once you know what's possible technically, once you know what's possible strategically, you can then like really start figuring out what you can do and how you can differentiate you and your company in the marketplace. And so for me, the learning is just about figuring out what's possible and what I can maybe do that somebody else isn't doing yet because maybe they haven't taken the time to learn about this stuff yet. That's fantastic. Now, this leads really well on. So marketing managers often get conflicting advice about how many channels to use. On one hand, there is the focus on these three key channels. And on the other hand, that you should be testing across all channels and repurposing content. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the balance here with that advice? Yeah, just focus on your goals. Like, what are you trying to achieve? There are a lot of people I know that are in business situation and certain scales where like they could just run a blog and do a little bit of email marketing and crush their numbers. And so think about the problem and understand what's the kind of scale, what's the kind of growth that I'm looking to achieve based on other people that I've talked to, benchmarks in the industry, what can I expect from various channels for my business? And then basically, okay, it seems like I need to do these three or maybe it's I need to do these 10, right? And from there, then you focus on those and work on iterate and improving on those. But there's no, there's nothing that says you have to do anything. It's what does your business need? What is the problem that's at hand? And just focus on that. Keep you famously and succinctly said in the past, context marketing respects the habits, goals, and devices of people. Mm -hmm. Can you explain why this is important and how it ties into the practices of inbound marketing? Yeah, when you think about inbound marketing, it's an approach that is centered around who you're talking to, your audience, what they need, and driving real value for them. And the way you, one of the ways you drive real value for people is respect them and understand how they want to receive things. We like to think of it as don't make your prospect do crap work, right? Like don't make them take an extra step. Don't make them give you information that you're not going to use. Don't make them do all of those things. Once you can remove those not only have you reduced friction and you're going to achieve better marketing results, but you've actually created a much better experience for that prospect. They're going to have a much better sentiment towards your company, your brand. And so that's really how I think about it. The bottom line is when we have meetings, it's like, hey, we want to do this, but this is really for us. This is not for the prospect. This is going to make the prospect do crap work. We can't do it, guys. That's, we, we talk about that all the time.
So, Kip, we wanted to ask about marketing attribution. Yeah. Is this a practice that marketing directors and CMOs should be pushing more in the organization, in your opinion? So you got marketing attribution and attribution models. It's a really complex topic. You've got first action attribution. You've got multi-touch attribution. You've got last action attribution. There's a bunch of different attribution models that that exist in the world. We could we could do a podcast for our entire lives around attribution models if we wanted to. Um, I think what's most important, actually, when sadly it fails to happen often, is that you pick one model. And you understand the pros and cons of that model. You communicate that model to your team and to your company. And so even though that that model may have some weaknesses, you all are aware of that. And you are all what we would call playing from the same sheet of music, right? You, you're singing the same song. You know what's going on. And you're measuring apples to apples in everything you do. And then, yeah, as you go through and you report, if you're using first action attribution, there's some weaknesses that come with that. And there's some challenges that come with that. And you need to kind of double-click and double-check data sometimes to make sure. But for the most part, that's what's important, is actually just making a decision, not trying to do all of them, or have one team using one type and another team using another type. Just be clear and consistent across the board. As your marketing career takes off, you naturally focus on more strategic areas and less on tactical. As a CMO, we're interested in how much, if any, tactical involvement you still take part in and especially given your expertise and passion for social in the yeah, past yeah. And, and your background I'm, I'm a marketing dork so i'm still heavily involved <laughs> you could you can make the judgment if that's a good thing or a bad thing i uh, i don't know but i'm heavily involved i probably have sent like five or six tactical related slack messages or emails in the past like 12 hours so uh i'm heavily involved from across the board in how we're thinking about conversion rate optimization to blog content to search content strategy whatever whatever that may be like i don't know it's my passion in life it's 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 what i think is interesting so uh, whether my team likes it or not is a, is a is a question you have to ask them but i try to make sure that we're focused on the right areas uh, especially tactically and that we're solving for the right things and that we're drawing inspiration tactically from other people who are doing interesting and potentially really cool stuff. So, yeah, I think I probably am a little bit more tactical than your average CMO, but my mind, that's a good thing. I think it's for everybody who's listening to determine what the right balance is that works best for their company. Keep it seems there's always some sort of shiny objects distracting sure, marketers sure. from strategy. Sure. Case in point, a very topical one at the moment, Snapchat and marketers yeah. that are trying to figure out how to make it work. Yeah. Something that's distracting them. What's your advice for marketers to avoid that distraction and focus on strategy and whether it's the right fit for their strategy? There are some companies where Snapchat's an awesome fit. It's a really rapidly growing platform. They and Facebook are doing the best jobs in terms of rolling out new features, innovating the platform. They're doing a really, really amazing job. And I think we should all, as just students of communication and marketing, appreciate that and, and, and take notice of that. But I think if you're a marketer and you're just trying to prioritize, it comes back to like the idea of kind of first principle thinking like what is the problem at hand what is the problem with my marketing funnel if you have an awareness problem and you're trying to get people to learn more about you then snapchat might be a valid platform right but at the same time if you've got a you know sales enablement challenge or a lead to mql conversion rate challenge there's a whole host of middle to bottom of funnel challenges then as awesome as snapchat may be it's not what you need to focus on right this minute, right? You need to solve the most urgent problem at hand. And anytime you're working with a sales and marketing funnel, 
you get more leverage when you solve from the bottom up, right? When you fix the leaks in the bottom and, and you work your way up to the top. And so it's really easy to be distracted sometimes too because that stuff's hard. Like fixing, getting more leads to become MQLs is hard. So it's like, sometimes you're just like, oh, I want to go and do this Snapchat thing. Because even though it's hard, it's hard in a different way and maybe a more interesting way to some people, right? And distracts me from the the stress of that current problem. And I think that's what, you know, I've done personally in the past and I think you, you find it happens sometimes. As the rise of ad blocking looms. Lots of ad blocking. Like 50% of Australia is going to be on ad blockers soon, dude. I keep, you know, I think it's because the reason why it isn't higher, I think people haven't figured out how to do it. There's still a little bit of technical friction in doing yeah. it, absolutely. But, but uh, keep as, going. As it looms, more and more people are looking to native media and native marketing. Yeah. And a great example of that is influencer marketing. Sure. And now more recently, micro-influencer marketing. And it's an area that's grown so fast, marketers are struggling to figure out what to do there as well. So what are your thoughts on influencer marketing and micro-influencer marketing? And do you have any suggestions for marketers looking to evaluate those? Yeah, there's a couple things. Your marketing is always better when you have fewer dependencies. So it's always better if you can be the influencer instead of having to work through some other influencer. If you can build a great content strategy, you can build a great blog content on your site, become an influencer yourself, your marketing is going to be better. It's going to be more efficient. But all that stuff takes time. So in the meantime, you might have to work with and leverage other influential folks within the industry, within the market. And when you're thinking about doing that, most people approach this as like a bad sales rep would approach problem, which is like, hey, Mr. or Miss Influencer, like I need you to do this thing for me, which is not helpful to anybody. Um, It's more instead of I've got some value to this influencer because I run an event and this person wants to speak at my event or some other one of another hundred things, right? And so how can we develop a true partnership where we can align our brands, we can align our audiences to work together to some common goals that help both of us? And I think, sadly, people are really good at identifying influencers. They're really good at thinking what the influencers, they want, they want the influencers to do for them. They're not, they're a little weak when it comes to getting that alignment and understanding what the influencer wants and how to create value for both themselves and that influencer. Can't take any shortcuts to that. No, and, and that's part of the challenge with influencer marketing and micro-influencer marketing is that people are like, oh, great, I don't have to do this stuff myself. I'm just going to get these other people to do this for me. And they think it can be a shortcut. Quite frankly, it's harder. It takes longer time. You have dependencies of other people's schedules, other people shifting priorities. It's hard to do that. Talking more about future. I love the future. It's going to be awesome. We see voice in mid-search change the way people interact with content. Yeah. How do you see this as unfolding and what can marketers do to take advantage of this? It's a great question. You know, I think there's a lot of things that happen in the market right now that I would call kind of precursor actions where the technology is there and visible, but it hasn't evolved to the next step that really makes it open for marketers. So if you think about voice search, for example, you know, when I think most people think of voice search, when I think of voice search personally, I have an Amazon Echo at home and I have, you know, Siri in my pocket and on my Apple Watch. And so I ask them questions and I dictate through them and I search through stuff, which is really cool. But there's really no open APIs for that platform. There's no ways for me to like incorporate that voice search onto my website, for example. And so if somebody comes to my website on their mobile device, they just can't like click a quick mic button and do voice search as an input because there's no real like good backend technology and stuff like the market hasn't kind of caught up to that. And so as you have to keep your eye on technology and as that evolves, new opportunities can come up. 
think the trend, though, with especially with voice search, is that whenever I ask Siri or Alexa or anybody a question, I get one answer back. I don't get a list of answers back, right? Uh, it's search is moving from this long tail model to this like kind of fathead. You're the first true answer of discovery, more similar to like a Facebook news feed or an Instagram news feed or a Twitter feed, or something like that, right? And you're seeing that happen a lot now. And so if you're a marketer, you have to think about really doubling down on what we've always thought about, which is like being the best answer or what we'd often call like the canonical answer, like the original source of truth on a topic, because that's how you're going to be that one answer as that market evolves. And that's something that you can focus and execute and do right now, right? But should pay off long term as we see trends in the industry move move that way. So when we say inbound in Australia, mm-hmm. people are like, what is that? <laughs> right? Yeah. you go to we go we come to inbound in Boston and we go to the US and mm-hmm. we say we do inbound marketing. Mm-hmm. People go, I got I got what you're saying. It took us a decade to get there. <laughs> and I think we're in that in <laughs> yeah, Australia, absolutely. Right? Like, absolutely. You like you're obviously you've, you've been to Singapore, you yeah. come to Australia, you've seen this What's this part of the world look like when yeah, it comes it to inbound marketing? Like and where, how can we make the world a better place? Yeah, so if you think about this market, right, especially like Southeast Asia and Japan to, and to some degree Australia and New Zealand, they've always been innovators in how you communicate, mobile technology, messaging, all of these things. And so I think there's one, there's a lot of things that the rest of the world can learn from this part of the world. When I think specifically about inbound marketing, and I've gotten a chance to talk with tons of marketing professionals from startups to established brands and companies. And I think that adoption and understanding of inbound techniques is growing pretty rapidly. People here, I think, come from a channel-based mindset. The idea of maybe thinking just solely about email or solely about social versus integrating those for an amplified result and also approaching those in really a true inbound way where you're really going to focus on value, not yourself, not your products. And so I think that's the shift in mindset that folks are going through right now. Uh, I see it happening probably a little faster on the startup side of things than I do the established company side. But I think this part of the world is probably, my estimate, somewhere between 12 to 18 months behind kind of the, the leading edge of the adoption around inbound, but I think that everyone here is going to make up that time pretty quickly. Uh, you know, I'll probably be back in Sydney in, you know, four to six months, and I expect to see a lot of change even in that amount of time. If the, if the HubSpot events are anything to go by, like the Grow with Sydney and the Hub, yeah. you know, you used to have, what, 200 people at Grow, and now it's going to 600, yeah. and the Hub was so much more. In a very quick time, it, the word's getting out there. Yeah, it's one, it's a, it's a culture that's super engaged and wants to learn and cares a lot about doing work better and doing really great marketing, which is fantastic. And two, you know, we're trying our best to, to help and educate the market and spread the word from whether it's our free inbound marketing certification, whether it's our events, whatever, to do that. And fortunately, you know, we, we started the business 10 years ago. We learned a lot of lessons over the last 10 years. So when we're in a newer market like we are today here in Australia and across the broader Asia Pacific region, we can learn from those mistakes and we can actually help people learn at a much faster rate. So I would expect it to grow and go much faster than it did originally in the U.S. Well, Kip, thank you so much for your time. We really do appreciate that you could spend time with us, share some of your knowledge and wisdom. It's an honor to be here. Thanks so much. It's, I'll take any and all excuses to talk about marketing. It looks great. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And can't wait to see you at Inbound 2016 in November. Yeah, I hope that 
lots of folks from Australia will join us at Inbound 2016 in November. I'm excited to see you there, and I'm excited to talk with everybody again when I come back to Sydney. Craig, that was a cracker of an interview. He's a smart guy, isn't he? <laughs> he is. Now, we just wanted to go through a few things. I really love that he had a system for consuming content. And he was talking about curated content, about using apps like Pocket, for example. That can be our app of the week this week. Good idea. To curate your content so you can consume it. Now, I know that, you know, when you consume content, you need to have a variety. And I think the diversity of content consumption was really good. I know you read a lot of books as well, and I try to. So that's another diversification of content. What did you think of the whole thing? I liked his approach. I also liked that he specifically said I spend at least an hour each day reading and keeping up with trends. Now, that requires discipline. I think this yes. is really good for marketing managers and marketing directors to hear because you're so busy, you think, oh, how am I, I won't get time to read. Uh, he's the CMO of HubSpot and he makes it a priority. So it's very important if you're working for your enterprise, your business, that you're aware of where the the market's going, trends and things like that, and, and stay abreast of it. Yeah, you know what? I liken that to putting fuel in the tank, right? We have to fuel ourselves up, and that's what Kip does, and we we do the same in our businesses, and I think it's the key to stay ahead, to know what's going on. You'll notice that Kip mentions in there, you know, like he, when Facebook releases something new, he goes and reads all about it and ed- educates himself because even though he might not use it, he needs to know what's there because he can make an educated choice as to what he needs to do, whether it's going to be the right channel for him to use. Yeah, that's right. And it is about choices. And I, I thought that was interesting at the start when we asked him about work-life balance because, again, marketing managers, they're under the pump all, all the time. He had a very good answer about that, just about compartmentalizing and working hard when he's at work. And then when he's at home, his focus is on his family. Correct. Now, the next thing I want to bring up is attribution. Now, this is discussed a lot lately because people have many touch points before they convert or before they buy products or services from us. And there are so many models and he talks about that. So I thought that was really good, just getting his perspective, yeah. considering they're generating so many leads. Yeah, just saying that everything's um, got its own pros and cons. Pick one, make sure everyone's educated about it so they know the pros and cons. Great advice. Now, the next thing was he said... Solve for the problem at hand. This was the key takeaway for me. I really like that focus. And especially, you know, when he was talking about channels, we're saying, oh, how many channels should you choose? All of this. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Take a step back. What's the actual problem you're trying to solve? Oh, yeah, that is probably a good thing to focus on. So easily overlooked, right? Seems so obvious. And yet, yeah, it brings back the focus. Yeah, I think if you're a marketing manager, you need to think about that. Just take it back to... Ask that question before doing anything. And even for us in our businesses, I think that's gold. Like if we follow that, I think we could make our lives a lot easier. Yeah. And just finally, his future thinking around search and voice search. We've discussed this in previous episodes and just his point about making sure you're the canonical answer. That's right. So you need to be the source of truth. So are you creating the content that really becomes the source of truth? So don't just be good, be be great. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again, Kip, so much for your time. Very generous of you to give us that time. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again at Inbound this year. Now, to our listeners, if you would like to join our WhatsApp group, please fill out the form on the website and let us know. We'd love to host you in that group. And we'd love if you could actually retweet this. Yes. You know what I would love is because we'll put a tweet around this episode and we'll um, tag Kip in it. 
So if you retweet it and all your friends retweet it, Kip will just get his all these notifications. Who are these hubshots? Hubshots, hubshots, hubshots. We'd love that. We'd love him to be going back, telling everyone about all these. How, how annoyed he is with so many notifications for the Hubshots podcast. <laughs> Please do us a favor. That'd be great. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed it and you got a lot out of this. We are going to interview Kip at Inbound. And so we're looking forward to that. And we hope you guys have a great week. Until next time, Craig. All right, Ian. Catch you later. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hubshots. For show notes, resources, HubSpot news, including practical strategies you can implement, visit us at hubshots.com.